Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. I came from a family where I did not have a role model as a father. I did not have a good model for a marriage. No matter what kind of young people's group you go to or or books, uh, it doesn't equip you for that. So I was on a different plane, taking a different uh, focus view on what a husband should be. Those included provider, the hunter-gatherer type thing, but I failed, uh, admittedly so, on the issues of uh, true connection, communication at the heart level. Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns, and I'm smiling today because I love stories, and uh, we're going to have a compelling story today. We're talking about a true story of a family who, in some ways, was lost and found. You know, feeling alone and abandoned and uncertain about her identity, her marriage, and her ability to parent, Karen Madero went on a journey. And we're going to talk about that journey today. And it's a journey of hope and it's a journey of healing. And we have both Karen Madero and Joe Madero in studio today. Uh, Karen is a speaker and a teacher and a freelance writer. She's an author. And they make their home in Georgia as well as Dana Point, California, where Kathy and I live. They've been married for over 40 years. And uh, they have two sons, David and Michael. Joe Madero was a former executive with UPS. He was actually the senior vice president general counsel. It's great to have both of you with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. We were having fun beforehand just talking reminiscing and talking about all kinds of uh, great things. But your story, and of course, Karen, you wrote this book called Back Roads Home and a true story of a family lost and found. And your story really hit me because of your authenticity, but also you said something, and I think there's a lot of homes in America and around the world. You said our home was a sad and barren place. And uh, Joe and I seldom fought, but there was distance and sarcasm, and that seemed to be just as effective. A lot of people feel that way. That's true. I think um, it's something that's very easy to settle into when you have issues that need to be addressed, but for whatever reason, uh, you have not been able to do that or one or the other is not willing to do that. And uh, you're thinking to yourself, well, we're not going to get divorced, but you don't like the way things are. And that's often... um, the end result. Yeah, it's kind of a, you feel abandoned, you feel sad. Now, interesting enough, you said you, you're not going to get a divorce, but in your book, Back Roads, you, you said there was a time when, when both of you thought about this. Joe, you, you all were thinking about, you got you were going to get moved to Atlanta where the headquarters was. Right. And it was actually a time when, when you both looked at each other and thought, well, this maybe is it. Well, it never was for Joe. It was really, uh, I was the one that wanted to do that because um, one thing I... I realized is that when things are very wrong in your marriage, you may have the best intention to stick it out no matter what, but at some point, things are going to blow. And um, I, I reached the point that I I was willing to stay in my marriage, but I felt that I couldn't because I was so empty and I, I had nothing to give my husband, nothing to give my children. Well, you said in there, and I quote, you said, I, I love my family. I felt trapped. I love my family. I, I was consumed with loneliness. Mm-hmm. And even at an early age, you'd kind of experienced some depression, didn't you? Yes. And that was part of the problem is I, I brought that to my marriage, yeah. uh, looking and hoping that that would take care of it. And so uh, Joe did get a lot of blame for things that um, you know, weren't his fault. Um, 
though he he had a few things that were his fault as well. <laughs> Joe, Guil- guilty. <laughs> Joe, you're you're sitting there. What what's your side to this? I mean, she was uh, she was feeling trapped. How were you feeling? Well, I, this will come as a shock to your uh, female listeners, but uh, men are not born with an intrinsic set of values exactly. for marriage. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, I came into the marriage, and I I, I had a different view, and uh, I I hearken back to a podcast I heard of you about. Uh, pastor from um, Kauai talking about boys to men. And uh, the same thing applies, I think, to marriage. I mean, uh, I came from a family where I did not have a role model as a father. I did not have a good model for a marriage. And uh, no matter what kind of young people's group you go to or or books, uh, it doesn't equip you for that. So I was on a different plane, taking a different uh, focused view on what a husband should be. And uh, those included provider, uh, the hunter-gatherer type thing. The the, uh, the protector and the provider, but I failed, uh, admittedly so, on the issues of uh, true connection, communication at the heart level. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult for me, and I, I did not have a, a model for that, so I struggled with that, and that was a void in our marriage, and uh, it, it it just uh, con- continued to fester until uh, uh, it took me a long time to recognize the void and loneliness that Karen was just talking about. You know, about. it's interesting you say that. I've had the privilege to speak uh, for numerous years with Promise Keepers, and I would say that's the story of most men. Right. Uh, and there's a wound there. Maybe they have, they, they have as, as I'm beginning to get to know your story, they, they have that situation with their own dad. Maybe they didn't have a good relationship with their own dad, but they don't know what to do. They want to help, but they honestly don't know what to do. And so we do something, and then Karen, uh, when she wrote it, she said, so what Joe did was he was busy with work and more work. Yeah. Uh, I took the view, and, and I came from a, a very dysfunctional family. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I reached out uh, to Karen's family is I saw, uh, she's the preacher's kid, so I married mm-hmm. the preacher's kid, and uh, and I saw in that family the kind of love, commitment, and openness that I had never seen before. So uh, that's another part of the story. I sort of insinuated myself into the family. Um, Karen wasn't that interested in me, but I gained the trust of the rest of the family. But, <laughs> Uh, I think that is that is a, a problem in terms of if uh, men have to learn uh, to reach that deeper level. And I had this this feeling that if kind of the thing, what's good for GM is good for the com- country, you know. Yeah. Uh, we found that's not true either. But the uh, <laughs> uh, I had this theory that uh, as a man, biblically and otherwise, uh, this concept I discussed with one uh, psychiatrist is a, a door theory, that uh, men have duties and obligations and responsibilities to carry out. And if you fail at that, then uh, you're less than an infidel kind of thing. And I didn't. I failed to realize the second half of the equation is that you you have to connect at the heart level. And uh, when I saw her, uh, I wasn't oblivious, but I didn't have the tools and didn't know how to sit down and connect at that level. I had no experience, so it was it was very difficult for me. You know, it's very. I think you're saying the word for so many men. I mean, they they truly would love the intimacy that their wife is craving. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. We right. men seem to do okay at that level, but it's the uh, it, the true intimacy connection. Exactly. But we honestly don't know what to do. And sometimes when our wives are feeling a bit wounded, like you were, Karen, it's hard to be able to say, here's what I need, because you're maybe not even sure you know what you need. Well, i tell you one thing that turned it around and, and was very important in me making the decision not to divorce was a conversation that Joe and I had uh, where I concluded it by saying, I'm just so lonely. And he said, I'm lonely too. And it never occurred to me that he could be lonely. And um, I, I thought that was that was a little opening in the door for me uh, because I just thought he, well, he didn't have any need for the kind of connection that I did. 
I wonder how many women think that. I remember early in our, and Kathy and I have been married for over 30 years, too. I mean, longer, not as long as you guys, but for a long time. And, and she has said sometimes, you know, in our season, where she said, you know, I don't feel like you're as needy. I mean, you have work, you have life and whatever. And yet you said something that I thought was very profound. You said you looked in his eyes one time and you saw deep sadness. Sometimes us men can't even convey that. In your journey, where was that? When did you when did you sense that he had deep sadness? Well, that was at that in that, that conversation. Time. Yes, and so when when I said I'm lonely, and he said I'm lonely too, I said, well, what's the problem? I mean, it's just it, it, there was, seemed to be um, a recognition that we both needed the same things, and that was revelation for me. Wow, that's that's interesting. You, you get to place your you know your ideal when you were. Uh, you know, when you were a young girl, you had the dream of finding the ideal husband, having children, raising the family. I mean, you were raised in a pastor's home. You know, you're 15 years into this, and you're ready to throw in the towel. And you actually made a decision to reconnect with your grandfather. And we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how significant that was, not just in your life, but in your marriage and with your, your children and, and really with your faith. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Burns. You're listening to Homeward. Great conversation today, a true story of a family lost and found. And we are so grateful for Joe and Karen Madero, who are joining us here in the studios at the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University today. And this is an amazing story. Backroads Home is the book that Karen has written. And if you'd like more information on their story, uh, you might see bits and pieces of your family history in the Madero story. It's just a really remarkable one. And Karen, as a labor of love, uh, published this book, uh, Backroads Home, and it's one that we highly recommend. It's a very, very moving story. It's a very, very touching story. And uh, the Madero story is it begins to unfold for us here on the Homeward Broadcast. As you'll see, it's very real. There's a lot of positive to it. There, there's some, still some heartache uh, yet to discover, and we will do so in just a moment as this very special edition of Homeward with Jim Burns continues. Welcome back. I'm Jim Burns. Great conversation today. Joe and Karen Madero, the true story of a family lost and found. And even just at the break, I was talking with Joe and Karen about the fact that so many of us do feel at times alone, sometimes abandoned. And a lot of times men go and just do the work thing and, and the intimacy begins to break down. And uh, yet we're not just talking about a marriage. We're talking about a family here that was lost and found. And right before the break, Karen, I mentioned the fact that there was a, a season in your life where you, where you, in many ways, reconnected with this kind of crazy cowboy from Texas that you called Papa. Talk about that. Um, my mother died when I was 19. And then um, my grandmother died. Uh, whom I was very close to, died a few years later. So the only person left was my grandfather, and I didn't really know him. He was 86 at that point. But I had such a strong need for some kind of, of connection, and I, my, I went to see him. Uh, my sister had gone every year since my mom had died, but I really hadn't. But I, when I went to see him, it was such a powerful experience that I realized I... I needed more of what he gave to me. And um, he was aging also and needed what I had to give to him. So we were two uh, very willing companions yeah. at that point. He, I, you know, I titled this, and uh, you know, I, I kind of put lessons from Papa. 
and again, I'm saying it wrong. I know you're, you're Papa. Papa. I, I'm, I'm, and I still am not sure I said it <laughs> right. But, you know, he gave you some great lessons along the way. What were some of the lessons that, that you learned? Perseverance. Yeah. Um, and that uh, God is faithful. He was a man of strong faith. Um, he was a real son of a gun. And uh, God did a real work in his hmm. life. Uh, and he was still pretty colorful. Uh, his his uh, even after he became a Christian, he did a few things that my grandmother wasn't too happy about. <laughs> but he was uh, so sincere about his faith, um, and I saw that. And I saw how during the depression and years where he wasn't able to get work and uh, everybody was just scrambling to live, that he trusted in God, and that gave me hope that if I trusted God the same way, that God could provide for me the way that God provided for my papa. You know, sometimes I think people are saying, I'm looking for that easy answer. He, he didn't necessarily give you an easy answer, though. When you went down there, you were, and I love the phrase that you used, you know, I enjoyed the sound of his voice and the security of being enveloped by his faith, a faith that I longed for, but I did not fully own. So, you know, you enjoyed that, but at the same time, you, you meet with him and then you go back and there were still issues at home. That's right. Um, and I'd been through enough that I was not willing to settle for any kind of superficial faith. I knew that my grandfather's was not, but I had to be honest with myself and say that Christianity wasn't working for me. Whatever I had been taught and had wanted to believe about, you know, God being enough, there was some disconnect there because it, it wasn't enough. Yeah. So so you came back and you decided we're going I'm going to stick this thing out. And what 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 went on in, in, to make that happen? I saw the opportunity to move to Atlanta as uh, God's way of giving us a new start. And also I I felt very strongly that God would have been with me no matter what choice I made. But when I when I sat down and thought about what do I really want? And uh what is going to be uh, the the best scenario overall, I realized I wanted our family. The years that we'd put in together counted for something. And um, I wasn't doing it for the kids or for Joe. I realized it's what I wanted. And um, I knew that God was going to be with me. At that point, I'd come far enough in my journey that I was willing to trust him. And it was very scary. And for months afterwards, I would have these panic attacks where I think this isn't going to work. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit would just settle me down. And right. and uh, eventually I would begin to in- enjoy um, my family in ways yeah. that I had not for a long time. Now, it sounds like both of you carried some baggage into it, whether sometimes the baggage is because of a family background that we come from, like you, Joe, or sometimes it could be, you know, depression is a baggage also. It's not your fault necessarily, but, it, you know, it does come. And you said that one of the first steps on your spiritual journey was to get help for your depression. I think there's a lot of people out there who are depressed. That's true. And um, I'd kind of been raised like a lot of people that if you're a Christian, uh, God can take care of all your problems and you don't need any help. Um, but I, the help that I received from a woman who really helped me to sort out a lot of the myths of Christianity mm. from, the, from true faith was um, a pivotal uh, point in my becoming a healthy person. 
And um, I, I think, especially being in a, in a minister's family, where you tend to over-spiritualize a lot of things, some of that needed to be separated for me. And, and instead of making me doubt my faith, it helped me to affirm uh, I did not have a Christian counselor, and sometimes she felt like the, the uh, um, some of the issues that I brought up were, were because I was so restricted as a Christian, and, and I began to realize that's not true. Mm-hmm. My life is better precisely because of what Christ has brought to my family, and it really um, just helped me to establish what I believe and to kind of fight for it. That was good for me. Yeah, uh, that is good, Joe. You, uh, you know, you're obviously it's, it's always uh, you know both pieces of the puzzle uh, as you're as you're coming together and healing in a marriage and whatnot. You know, they have stories during this season. What what was what was helpful for you? Well, this was as Karen described. This was the pivotal point. Uh, on the one hand, my career was doing very well at UPS, and uh, but the move to Atlanta uh, was the uh, breaking point, and I was convinced that she was not going to come, and uh, because. Uh, you know, she uh, had that loneliness and just didn't feel that. It, that gave me a sense of desperation. And that broke down the wall for me. We were able to talk during the break. Men uh, or career people have an advantage of being able to set aside what's going on at home because it, you get affirmation at work and uh, you can sort of separate things. But uh, when you come home, uh, you have this loneliness and despair and, and emptiness in the house. And for me, the desperation came when I realized uh, I could go to uh, Atlanta for the new headquarters, but you know it was very, very apparent to me that my life would not be anything close to what it was without Karen, because I loved her deeply, I loved the boys deeply, and uh, that was panic for me. And uh, it wasn't the thing that I was willing to do anything to get her to move, but uh, because I, you can't fool her, she's she's just too <laughs> perceptive, she's too smart. And so I just, uh, at that point, began to uh, relate to her as the previous conversation said, just come and sit with her and say, here's how I feel, and I don't think uh, I can possibly be the man that I'll ever be without you, and uh, without you, I'm not, uh, my success uh, won't be a success, no matter how high I go in the company. So that was a point which God, I think, probably put there to say, look, are you going to really deal with life as a husband and a father and do what's necessary to relate on a, on a, on a, heart basis and address the problems that uh, have gone unaddressed for too long. I remember saying one time, I'm not reading another self-help book. I'm done. (laughs) And um, Joe got help for himself for the first time. And I I was so disconnected from him. It was like, well, good. I hope you, you know, you go on your own faith journey. You do whatever you need to do. Well, he did. And that surprised me. Um, And how um, intense he was about it. And I realized one day that he was going to continue on that journey with or without me. And I realized it didn't, I didn't want it to be without me. Uh, that, is, that is actually a great insight. Don't have much time left. If somebody was listening to this conversation saying, you, do they know me? Are they in my living room? This is my story. What quick advice would you give them? And then I'm going to have to ask you to come back because we've got to, there's a whole other story about your kids that we're going to keep going on. But what would you say to, to that person if we were sitting in the living room and them and they said, no, I'm where you were, what do they do? Be realistic. Get help. And if you are not getting the emotional connection that you need at home, you have to get it somewhere. I found it from my, my grandfather and also from my sister. And that kind of tidied me over until I could establish myself more in the Word. Um, But I just was so reamed out that I I couldn't, the platitudes didn't do it. 
So I, I had to get people alongside me and get some objective advice and have some emotional connection somewhere. Yep. Great, great advice. Thank you so much for being with us. you got to come back because we, we have a whole other part to this story. Okay. And you can come back next time. Thanks, great. Jim. Great. Roger, one of the things that I'm seeing, and I was thinking of a scripture that says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And, you know, when we're when we're down and out and it's not working, you know, we need to go to help and we need to find the help. And, and Karen was fortunate enough to have her grandpa, to have her sister. Some of our listeners aren't that fortunate. What I'm going to say is, you know, go to your church, go to your pastor, open up. There are other people who are hurting as well. Amen to that. And Jim, I'm thinking of a tip sheet that we have in our resource center at homeward.com, uh, where to get help when you need help. It's a tip sheet that you'll find in the articles and media section go to homeward.com hit the article there's an icon at the top of the page there says articles and media hit that that takes you right to thousands of tip sheets video clips and more and just type in where to get help and that tip sheet will come up and you can use that as a resource in the closing moments of our time together right now jim i know there's a story that you want to share that kind of brings this whole thing together so take the final moments and uh, and do just that for us the story that, that I actually love telling because it's kind of Kathy's of my story and a little bit like Joe and Karen. When Kathy and I got married, we were both from non-Christian backgrounds. We didn't know how to have a Christian marriage. We didn't have, know how to do marriage. And then kids came along and we didn't know how to do that either. So Kathy uh, and Christy, I'm going to speed it up here, but at, at age 17, Kathy and Christy are in this major fight. And uh, I'm being the passive aggressive husband in the other room listening, but not saying anything. A few things Christy said, I went, oh my goodness, that's true, but I wouldn't say that about my wife. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, Christy escalated, and I walked into the room, and I said, Christy, go to your room. And I thought she was going to turn on me and say, Dad, I was escalated. I'm really sorry. And instead, she turned on me. And so she moves on up, and now I'm mad, and she slams the door. And, and I went up there, and I, I said to Christy, after about 10 seconds of a prayer and counting and taking some deep breaths. I said, Christy, I want to talk about mom. Some of the things that you just said to her, they're real. You're right. And Christy then thought I was on Christy's side. And I said, but your mom is the woman in my life who has grown the most. I've never seen anybody grow as much as, as your mom. And with my hands, I, I said, you know, your mom started here in deficit land because of the family background. And you only know some of the family history and some of the kind of weirdness that she comes from, but you get some of it. And she did. I said, and, and then with my hands, I said, and, and mom has grown to here. And again, she probably has grown the most of anybody I've ever known. I said, mom is a part of what we call the transitional generation, and so is dad. What that means is that we inherit the sins of previous generations to the third and fourth generation. That's what the Bible says. And I said, and so mom, yeah, you're right. Mom isn't perfect. But Christy, mom is either going to recover or repeat the sins of those generations. And what I'm saying is, is mom is working hard to recover. And to do that, she's the one who, who has to feel some of the pain and some of the brokenness so that you can not start where mom did, and I put my hand to where uh, Kathy had, had started, but you get to start in the middle someplace and go farther than mom and dad ever have. And at that point, that little 17-year-old began to cry because she understood that, yes, mom was struggling with the transitional generation. It takes perseverance, what Karen talked about today. And I want to encourage you by saying, if you feel like you are a part of this transitional generation and you don't have the tools, you know what? You can persevere, and that's going to make all the difference in the world for generations to come. 
Amen. Got to know where you have been before you can know where you're going, but it's also important to realize where you start in that whole uh, conversation. And so, Jim, we're grateful that you shared that story. And we're looking forward to the next edition of the Homeward Broadcast, where we'll hear the conclusion of this fascinating story, the true story of a family lost and found. Joe and Karen Madero will be with us once again. And remember, there's a link to information on their book at Homeward.com. And now for Dr. Jim Burns, our engineer Ben Camp, and the rest of the staff, I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks so much for listening. Join us again next time right here for another edition of Homeward. Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.